<laughs> what are you doing? Why, why are you playing music? Don't you see this crazy nightmare world that we're living in? Look at the sky. It's orange. And there's fucking parademons flying around. And is that the Joker that we're hanging out with? Why are we hanging out with the Joker? <laughs> because only Jared Leto would show up in your nightmare. <laughs> oh my God. I just woke back up in my room. It was all a terrible dream. I wonder if it's a, a portent of things to come. There's no way the Snyder Cut could be that bad in my, <laughs> my dream. Gotta... Well, I have something very troubling to tell you. <laughs> hey, we're back for another episode of Vertigo Voices. Hello, hello. Despite that hilarious opening skit there, um, we are not actually in studio today. I am sitting on a sunny beach in Hawaii, while Sophia is back in Washington. And it's cold, and I'm very jealous, and uh, yeah, but here we are, because we care. Through the magic of technology, it sounds like we're in the same room. Isn't it crazy? It even sounds like we're talking over each other in the same room, but we're not. See, we do a better job of editing than the Snyder Cut. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so, okay, I hope you survived our first hour of dissecting the Snyder Cut, because we're back for more. Amazingly, there's still more to say about this. Well, I mean, that's debatable. I don't really know that there is much more to say about this, but we're going to get through it anyway. We are. I know I use a lot of food metaphors, but it's true. It, like The Snyder Cut really is like those uh, disgusting yet engrossing um, like steak eating contests at restaurant where if you eat this huge-ass porterhouse, like all of it, and you get your meal for free, and you're watching that, and you're slightly nauseous, but at the same time, you can't stop watching what's happening before you. Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for ruining steak for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never sat through a steak eating contest, so I'm afraid I am uh, not, not uh, the best to come at that metaphor. <laughs> well, you sat through the Snyder Cut, so that's as close as you're going to get. That's true. <laughs> So, um, I don't know, quick recap. We talked about the first maybe half of the movie. Everything from uh, Superman's rah, 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 to uh, Flash's slow-mo introduction and saving the, the nameless and voiceless maiden in distress. <laughs> and that's as well-rounded as that character gets. Yeah. Uh, so, we're back. We're going to be talking more about it. Should we, do we have any news? And I have some news, but I still want to save it <laughs> because uh, it's not time sensitive. There you go. Yeah. What about you? Do you have anything? <laughs> not in particular. No, I just feel like we need to, you know, glove up and concentrate on the uh, the autopsy at hand. Yeah. <laughs> After action reports. Exactly. It's like a debrief of a disastrous mission. <laughs> You lost your entire squad. Do I need a play-by-play -play of what happened? Right, right. Well, I logged into HBO Max and turned it on, and, and it just kind of happened to me. <laughs> and I'm still very confused. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we had talked about Cyborg's meaningless origin and backstory and shit. Well, another thing about Cyborg that bugged me is that even his voice was overmodulated. It was, wasn't it? And it, I don't think it really had any modulation in the Whedon cut. I can't remember the Whedon cut as well as you can. But it also seemed to come and go in this one. Maybe it fades as like a him regaining his humanity or something. 
Maybe. I don't know. That's way, I think it's way more thought than that actually put into that. <laughs> You're being very generous there. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, this, the modulation bugged me. And I guess, I don't even, I don't even know what else to say about Cyborg's story, but well, go back and listen to it. It's dumb. <laughs> it is. It is. And something you said in our episode about the Doom Patrol pilot mm. that absolutely holds true is that the prosthetics and makeup in Doom Patrol on Cyborg look more tangible and real than the cartoony body that Ray Fisher has in the Snyder Cut. Yeah, it just it looks weird. It looks like a silver Rubik's Cube that was, like, cut in half and spread out. Like, it's just, yeah. And his legs look way too skinny. Like, there's just, there's no there's no weight to it, and it looks even more noticeable because of how off-putting his body is shaped. Right. <laughs> if he was shaped like a regular human, I don't think it would look that bad. <laughs> exactly. But no, he has that strange, like, broad chest, like, oh. almost like he's drawn like a comic book, that yeah. broad chest that goes into those narrow hips. And it does look like just all a poorly rendered CGI yeah. torso. And in the in the Whedon cut, it ends with him. That's another thing, is that his dad survives the Whedon cut instead of dying needlessly. <laughs> right. <laughs> just so he can make the box hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, in the Whedon cut, his dad survives, and it shows him and his dad, like, working on his body, and it, like, turns into, like, the superhero version. He has, like, a little logo, and he looks more human. And I thought that was a cool way to end it, because it almost implies, like, oh, in the in the sequel, he's going to look normal. It's <laughs> <laughs> so this weird, craggy outgrowth of bricks. I don't know. I don't even know what the fucking design was, but I didn't like it. So, yeah. Um, we're done with Cyborg. <laughs> I have to bring Unless this. Unless you have something else cyborg-related. Not cyborg-related, um, but I do want to talk about a uh, scene with Lois Lane real quick, if you want to jump to that. One of her, like, two scenes in the movie? One of her two scenes. <laughs> and another strange... It, is it the one where she's crying or the one where she's looking sad? Um, both? <laughs> no, but, but uh, tell me if you noticed this. You know the part where she grabs her ID from the Daily Planet? Are you, you going to talk about the pregnancy test? Like everyone, everyone, everyone's running for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everyone's like, "Oh, she's pregnant. She's got fucking Superman's baby and everything." I think that that I, I don't think there's any meaning to that. I think it's a leftover from Snyder's original ending. Did you ever hear about this? His original plan for like the three movies was that that she was supposed to be pregnant. Yeah, but yeah. Do, with who? With with Clark's baby. No, 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 no. Batman was supposed to fall in love with her. Knock her up. <laughs> and then in the future, Lois Lane's son becomes Batman. No! Yeah. That was his original grand scheme. So, like, I was, I was talking to my friend Bear about that. Because uh, he was like, what, what would have happened had this come out? And Snyder got his three movies. Or his three movies. Like, what, what would happen to the DC's film slate? And I was like, honestly, like... There would have been diminishing returns already, and there are now. <laughs> there, people would care about each of these movies less. They'd make less money. Justice League probably would have made about the same amount. Only now you can't do anything because he's got this fucking Mad Max future, and then you've, you've started the franchise with an old Bruce Wayne, so there's nowhere to go with him. <laughs> so you've got this Mad Max future with a cul-de-sac that ends with the characters that you like going away and being replaced by offspring. Okay, but then what? Why would he leave that scene in there where uh, Batman and Wonder Woman have that, you know, awkward schoolyard flirtation where they both go to grab the mouse at the same time and they touch hands and they're both like, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, who knows? Um, I'm, I, 
And who knows when he was filming this if that was still the plan. I'm just saying that that was originally his plan. But did you see the did you see the name of the pregnancy test on the box? Oh no, I didn't. Okay, get ready for this. The uh, brand of pregnancy test is Force Majeure. <laughs> nice. I actually had to scrub it back four times <laughs> to make sure I saw that right. I was like, no, no. Oh, <laughs> See, that's the thing. This this uh, movie is about as unsubtle as if it could come to life and like reach out and punch you in the face. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a level of subtlety. That's the the Snyder subtlety they call it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But yes. Um. So yeah, I mean that's and Lois is Lois actually had more to do in the Whedon cut. Which is another stupid. If you go back to our previous episode, where all of a sudden Zack Snyder seems to be the feminist prototype for yeah. comic book movies, particularly women. That was another thing that people lambasted the Joss Whedon cut for, is that, oh, Lois is off writing fluff pieces at the Daily Planet, and... It's her fucking job! (laughs) (laughs) It's literally all she does in any Superman movie. Well, exactly! It's like, okay, since when did Lois Lane become this amazing reporter? I have... uh, Well, I mean, mean, she is an amazing reporter, but but the... The tension in all of these movies, every single Superman movie, is Lois being like, I want to write hard-hitting news. And then Perry being like, no, write this fucking story about lipstick. And I'm like, fuck you, chief. <laughs> so, like, the point of this is showing that, or the point of, of that subplot in Whedon's is that, like, without Superman, she's going through this period of mourning. She's being like, fuck it, I'll write whatever. Right, right. She's just trying to get along yeah. at work. Which makes more sense than just laying in bed for half the movie. <laughs> and- and for some reason, people praise that, like, oh, we get to see her mourning. It's like, okay, is that in any way more emotionally deep and resonant than what we got in 2017? Well, and you see her mourning. She's fucking sad about the death of her husband. Like, what? that's, or maybe not even husband, whatever they were. Beyonce, but but you, you see that mourning, but she's still a competent human being. <laughs> And the thing that the Snyder Cut does, and this will lead us into another uh, branch off, that I think really cheapens that, it doesn't make it better, is uh, Martha shows up to talk to her and, yeah, console her and be like, you know what? Get um, out there. Yeah. Fucking write magazines. You you need to keep living your life. and, And it's actually this very nice moment between Amy Adams and Diane Lane, only for it to be totally fucking undermined by the fact that Martha is not Martha. She is... The Martian Manhunter. Which plays a great, phenomenal, you know, important, vital role in this movie. We could not have had this movie oh, without him. Not. You could have had him deliver those that one line of, like, the world needs Lois Lane. Who's he talking to? Right! <laughs> And plus the whole idea, too, is like, dude, where were you when the world needed you to show up to help defeat Doomsday? Well, it's just, it's such a weird fan pandering. You know, just, oh, Martian Manhunter was on the leaks. We'll throw him in there for no reason. And, like, if you don't know who he is watching this, you're like, why did she just turn green and then turn into that guy in the last two movies and then walk away? Right. I was like, so, so was Martha always an alien? It's <laughs> like, there, there's no connection. Like, there's... He's just thrown into the narrative, and then he comes back at the end for the last, you know, ten seconds, and that's it. And there's no reason for that scene to exist other than just be like, hey, we got Martian Manhunter in this bitch. What do you think about that? And it's just so fucking dumb. It is. It's like, and I'm I'm a fan, but I don't care. 
It adds yeah. nothing to the film. And that's the only scene between Lois and Martha. Right. So that scene has way more resonance in the Whedon cut when it's actually Ma Kent and Lois leaning on each other for support. Exactly. Exactly. It's not undermined by the fact that, hey, hey, you didn't see this coming. Yeah. It's, it's, it, again, it's, it's like the actual character depth and development then being wiped away for a little bit of fan service. Indeed. Christ, that's annoying. It, <laughs> and I don't understand why people think it's so great and like, aha! Yeah. So that, and, that, and that's what I, you know, when, I, when you, we mentioned earlier about which one was better, the, this version or the theatrical cut. And like, I think they're about the same because you lose, like, that is a big thing to me. <laughs> like a tiny scene of Martian Manhunter completely derailing any... Um, character growth between two major characters is a big fucking deal. <laughs> it is. It is. And it, again, it takes away because I know we're totally railing on this film and I, I we, obviously it deserves it. Um, but again, there's like these small moments of light. There is one part that I thought was absolutely better in the Snyder Cut after um, Lois shows up at the Superman monument. Um, he sees her and you know, is is you know, taken aback from his, uh, homicidal rage, homicidal rage at being resurrected and, uh, takes her and flies back to the farm, Smallville. Um, the Whedon cut line is silly. It's like where they land on the ground and she goes, Oh, you smell good. And he's like, what? I didn't before. And it's just, in my opinion, it's a silly little joke in the 2017 movie. Whereas this one, I liked it better where they land and he says something to her and she's like, and she says, oh, you spoke because she's so happy. Like, oh my God, you're actually here in front of me. You're alive. But then that moment gets swept away very, very quickly. <laughs> I also didn't, but I didn't like that because that also calls to, calls attention to the fact that Superman has maybe five lines in the entire movie. <laughs> Like, oh, he finally spoke. It's three and a half hours into the movie, and he spoke. <laughs> and here he is. <laughs> and I, I, so, the, uh, hold on. We gotta, gotta stick to the schedule here. Because <laughs> I was just about to launch into that whole scene and my issues with it, but. Okay, Cyborg's voice is on. There's a whole subplot about Bruce trying to fix his plane. Yes. That, why is that in there? It just eats up runtime. <laughs> And there's, like, a montage of him and Alfred trying to get it running. Like, you're fucking Bruce Wayne, man. If it doesn't work, just build a new one. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, we gotta have this really shitty-looking whale-shaped ship. That's, that's gotta be the plane that we fly on. Can't be anything else. <laughs> well, and, and it's another, like, it's another ego jerk to the character where he's like, Oh, all the, the finest minds at Wayne Enterprises couldn't fix this, but I'm gonna. It's like, oh. Okay. Yeah. And okay. again, like what? None of that needs to be in there. If you, if you need to have a scene of him tinkering, because there is a there is a bit where he's working on it when Diana walks up in both versions. Yes. Like, yeah, he's changing the oil. Who the fuck cares? Like, why why are we spending time on him building something new? That's dumb. Mm -hmm. You don't have to show Batman building his shit to know that he has cool shit. Right. Just have some tinkering. You know what? I have whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um so that was weird. Uh there's a line that was in the trailer that then was put back into this version of Cyborg when they're having the big Superman fight mm -hmm. and he jumps in the way of a car that's about to hit a cop and then it blows up and then he goes, you should probably move. 
And like, I hate that line. It's just so weird and like, uh, you should probably move. And it's so <laughs> condescending. Like, you're a superhero, dude. <laughs> like, hey, uh, you might want to move. Like, oh, there's a fight. Here, let me get you to safety. Or let me help you. Or no, Just fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> get away. Not, not, are you okay? <laughs> right. Do you need help? Can I be of some assistance, given as I am a superheroic being, and you're just a normal person, um, probably completely baffled by what you're seeing? You should probably move! (laughs) Well, that that leads into another part in terms of, like, the superhero's interactions with civilians. Like, Cyborg is condescending. Wonder Wonder Woman's saving of the children is schmaltzy and hokey in an R-rated film. The only part that, I mean, and you could say this is a very small thing, but the the only part that felt human to me is the part, I think, where it's like a National Guardsman is lying on the ground and he's hurt and Batman comes oh, up yeah. and says, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, the optics of that looked really weird. Because Batman has not shown the slightest concern for anyone in all of these movies. And then now he's like, let me, let me kneel down next to and get up here, hero. And like, it felt very like weird and like, um, that like pseudo patriotic, you know, like 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 post nine eleven, like you know, the real heroes are the firefighters. So it's like Batman, like let me let me get you up here, let me help you. <laughs> and then the national, it looks like the actor who's playing the national guardsman doesn't quite know what to do <laughs> yeah. because he like hop hop one way and then he turns around, he's like hop hop hop. <laughs> but then going back to uh, speaking of them not showing any concern for people, one of my favorite things in both of them was cut. Uh, it was a Whedon reshoot when they were about to confront Steppenwolf for the first time and Flash is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been in a fight before. Mm. What do I do? And uh, Batman's like, just save one person. And that like reassurance is like, just save one person and then you'll know what to do from there. Because it's like, it's, it humanizes both of those characters in a way that isn't done at all in any version or in any other part in both versions of the movie. They're just like, just focus on saving one person, and then after that, save one more. And just keep going until you've saved everyone. And I, I really like that, because it, it showed that Flash isn't just a bumbling idiot, that he actually, like, the reason he's a bumbling idiot is because he doesn't know what he's doing, and he needs some guidance. Right, he's a kid. Yeah, and so Batman is guiding him, you know, save one person. But in this, he's, like, nobody cares that he's a bumbling idiot. <laughs> exactly, and he just acts like he has done this before. Yeah. And, and I think there's there's this weird butting heads of ideals in that superheroes, as specifically, I'm going to pick on the MCU for a minute. In the MCU, superheroes exist to save people. Mm-hmm. In these movies, superheroes exist to stop the bad guys. Right. And the difference, be- like those sound like similar statements, but the difference is in the MCU, they stop bad guys so they can save people. Mm-hmm. In this they might save people if it means that they get to stop the bad guy. That's very well put, actually. If, they, if there isn't somebody immediately in front of them, like between them and the bad guy, then they don't give a shit. They'll destroy a city as long as it means stopping the bad guy. Right, right. And I think that's the difference of like just the Snyder's own personal objectivist philosophy being put into this. Mm-hmm. Is it like, no, it's just all about fucking getting what you want. Mm-hmm. I want to stop the bad guys, fuck everyone else. Whereas in the MCU, it's the whole greater good, you know, like, um, I just rewatched Age of Ultron a few months ago. And one of the things that always struck me about that movie is at the end, every conversation that the heroes have are all about what are we going to do to save these people? 
Like the city is being lifted into the sky. How are we going to get? And there's one point where uh, Black Widow is talking to Cap, and she says something like, "Like you know, we've we've got, done what we could, but I don't I don't think we're going to be able to get the rest of these people." Um, and he goes, "Well, then we're not going home." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like if they're dying, then we're dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's that's a really good example of the difference between you know like a real hero and then just this godlike beings that look down on us with you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, disdain <laughs> or just like even apathy like we just yeah. happen to be there exactly yeah i guess that's what it is it's total <laughs> apathy so anyway i yeah I, that just came to me the difference between those two schools of thoughts and i think realistically at the end of the day that's why one succeeds and one doesn't because these characters were created as a way to see ourselves saved mm-hmm. they weren't like literally they the first superhero in comics predates the first supervillain if it was all about fighting the bad guy, then the first Batman or the first Superman issue would be about Superman fighting a giant monster. It's not. You know what Superman's doing in the first issue? Mm-hmm. He's helping poor people who are being taken advantage of by their landlords. Mm-hmm. He's uh, stopping human exploitation. Like he's fighting faceless villains. Right. It wasn't until years later that that they developed a rogues gallery of villains, and that's what's important. And that's a that's an excellent point. Like even the um, even the faceless villains, like you can recall Superman uh, comics from long, long ago. Like you know, even the nineteen forties, where even it's like it's it's seemingly everyday stuff. Like oh no, my supervision tells me that there is a truck with no brakes hurtling towards this you know group of school kids that's crossing the road, and so he goes and saves these kids. Whereas all of a sudden in these uh, DCEU Snyder films. Like you said, it, it becomes more about the fact that this is a god among people, yeah. and we're incidental to his godliness. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I'm not saying that to mean that I don't like supervillains or anything. Like, right. no, supervillains are fucking great. I love, uh, I you know, I love Heath Ledger's Joker or uh, fucking Jack Nicholson's Joker. Man, he's the tits. He is. <laughs> or uh, <laughs> like, really, any of the DC villains can be great if they're allowed to be. Just like the heroes. But the, the key is that the, the hero shouldn't be so hung up about killing the bad guy that he's willing to sacrifice regular people. Right, exactly. So, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, that's, I feel like that's Zack Snyder's thing, is that, like, yeah, just fucking kill everyone as long as we get to snap Zod's, Zod's neck. <laughs> because that says something about this character. <laughs> Uh, so then, uh, back to the, the Superman resurrection. That's another thing that I thought was going to be way different in this version. Mm-hmm. I assumed that the whole dropping the mother box into the water was an invention from Whedon, but no, that's how it goes in this. Only it's way longer. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And for some reason, Flash reverses time right before he does it. So he can just run fast enough that things start to move backwards. Like, that's, that's weird, and it's not explained. Well, it- and that's another thing that I don't quite get either. And I, I think that if you're going to enjoy this, um, you shouldn't think that hard about it. Because, uh, yeah, I've heard other people try to parse that out. And they say, oh, it's because he's uh, it's because he's affecting time when he runs that um, Victor has that premonition of what could happen. Except that happens before he starts running. Yeah. And it also happens in the last movie. Right! <laughs> Batman had his whole premonition and then saw Flash from the future. And... Like, so if he can already time travel, then who the fuck cares? Like, why did the, why are they worried about the future? Because anytime something goes wrong, be like, Flash, go back in time real quick. <laughs> yeah, go for a job, yeah. dude. <laughs> and they, they do that. They bring that up in the Flash TV series quite often. Mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. there's been more than once where he's uh, like fucked something up and then gone back in time and fixed it. And it's gotten to the point where they're like, dude, if you keep doing that, you're going to destroy the universe. <laughs> like the fabric of the universe can't deal with all this time travel. Stop it. Mm-hmm. And I, But like it's just brought up in this and then kind of brushed away, except that it's going to be really important in the future. Maybe, <laughs> but like, ah, it's so frustrating. Well, it's just like, it's just, again, this, um, ah, like these layers of unneeded exposition or, oh, this is how we bring them back to life. It's like, well, no, just go with your original statement of the mother box. Mother boxes represent change. So we're going to use it to bring Superman back to life. Done. Like, or just don't do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> none, none, like the death of Superman in the comic First of all, they shouldn't have rushed into the death of Superman story. That was fucking dumb. Oh, it was. The second movie, have him killed off and then brought back. Um, and then, too, like, the way he's brought back in the comic is all about, like, the Kryptonian Matrix and the way it heals his cells and blah, blah, blah. Which, another thing is everyone's jacking off <laughs> um, <laughs> Snyder about putting in the black suit, which... Uh, we'll get into that! <laughs> just frustrating myself now. Anyway, so, so then when he comes back, he's not fully healed, and then he, like gets his power back and all that but the way they do it in this like so the mother box can just do whatever the plot needs it to at that moment pretty much and then so they used it to bring him back along with the water that made doomsday or whatever (laughs) but then so doesn't that mean that it's like it's spent they used it Mm. but then it comes back like then they need it again i don't know it's just the whole idea of mother boxes in this both of these movies doesn't make any sense. Like, what are they for? What? Who are they versus? <laughs> and why? Why are they useful? Because they basically can just do anything. Did but in the like in the comics, the mother boxes are just supercomputers. They're they're living intelligent computers. Right. right. And in this, they're just they're whatever the plot says that they need to be at that on that whatever scene. <laughs> they are the the three rings made for the yes, races exactly. of dwarves, elves, and humans. <laughs> and in the darkness, bind them. <laughs> Which reminds me, so that flashback when Darkseid is just put over Seppenwolf yeah. from the flashback. I don't know if it was their intention to do this, but they make the villain of, of, not even the villain of the movie, supposedly the villain of the entire universe, out to be like the biggest wussy bitch in the world. <laughs> right? He's literally like, he's like, I'm going to take over the world. Oh God, don't! Stop it! <laughs> Owie! Uh, fucking Ares jumps up and hacks him in the neck with an axe and almost beheads him in one hit. Right. And then he has to be drugged off the field of battle. <laughs> and like, so why do I care about this supervillain if literally he was almost destroyed by not the heroes of this movie? Supposedly the heroes of this movie are supposed to be as powerful as the gods or whatever. Um, but no, he gets he gets absolutely decimated. <laughs> Just you can't get more beat up than he got in this movie. <laughs> and then, the, of course, the arrogance of mortals and that oh yes, Earth, the one place that Darkseid couldn't conquer. You know? <laughs> and so, the, and then when when so they show that Darkseid tried to conquer it and he didn't, and then it's a surprise to Steppenwolf that that's the same planet. Where the anti-life equation is. Yeah, well, he's like, oh, I can't believe, oh, whoa, no way! Like I thought that's why Darkseid was trying to conquer it. I thought. I thought we all knew that. <laughs> like, I, I thought that's why he did that. You know, like exactly. I, can someone can someone fill the the all powerful bad guy in on what we already all knew <laughs> that no one is surprised by except it's, for him. Yeah. It's never a good sign when the bad guy is behind the audience on finding out. Things. <laughs> 
Exactly. Exactly. I uh, I went into the pre-production of this movie knowing that the anti-life <laughs> equation was on Earth. <laughs> Even people who don't know what that is and have never read a single comic book, like yeah. no one is like, oh my god! Yeah. Like, oh, Dark Side's like telling somebody new. Oh, so Dark Side's trying to find the anti-life equation. Oh, it's on Earth, right? <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah. Hold on. I need to do some rewrites. <laughs> How did you know? Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, they bring the Superman back. Like everything in this movie, that fight goes on way too long. Too many meandering bits. Uh, I think, overall, it's better than the Whedon version of it, mm-hmm. even though it's largely unchanged. Right. Um, the only... My, well, not the only. My biggest fucking issue with it is that Superman has zero dialogue in it. Right. He's just this mindless killing machine, which is, again, what Snyder wants for this character. And it just, it feels so wrong. <laughs> like, why does he have to go bad? Why do you have to fucking fight him? Right. Or at least give us, like, as as ineffectual as it might be or lame, at least give us a moment where, you know, he's confused. He's yeah. angry. Like, there's visible distress. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. When he fucking comes back, the first people he sees are Aquaman. He's never met him before. Flash doesn't know him at all. Uh, Wonder Woman, he has had maybe five minutes of a conversation with her right before he died. And Cyborg, again, who's this guy? And they're like, oh, and she calls him Cal. She's like, Cal. I'm like, you don't know each other. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you would think it would make it, and it would give um, poor Amy Adams something to do besides sit there and look pretty and yeah. morose. But, you know, it would give it more weight if they had visited her beforehand and been like, hey, yeah. we have this crazy idea and we need you yeah. because you're the only person who knows him. Maybe someone who's known him more than five minutes should be in on this fucking plan. <laughs> right. And again, and even when Batman shows up, hey, guess what? The last time Superman was hanging out with Batman, they were trying to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a warm welcoming. Yeah. So like, no, no wonder he fucking lashed out. But I, I really liked the dialogue that he had in the Whedon cut. Like when he picks up Batman, he's like, do you bleed? Like, I felt like that was a decent reversal of their roles Mm -hmm. and uh the fact that you're like hey i didn't forget that idiot (laughs) and then when he sat here's a line too he's like you tried to kill me now you won't let me die like what do you want right (laughs) and i thought that was a really good scene too that again is just cut out because he can't have any lines (laughs) right well and the thing the conflict leading up to his resurrection too which also for some reason people think is a, a Again, a great stride in Wonder Woman's character that in this version she just automatically goes along with it. <laughs> yeah. As a, at least in the Whedon version, like someone actually brings up the fact, like, "Hey, this is morally yeah. sketchy at yeah, best." Exactly. Um, but no, in this one, like, you get uh, uh, Aquaman. He's like, "This is a bad idea. This is crazy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea, bro." <laughs> 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 My shirt's still on. What's what's going on? Pop this shirt off. <laughs> Which he does in the Snyder Cut. Which, uh, also going back to Aquaman for a second, when they introduce him, um, Mara's got a different accent in this for some reason. Yeah. She's British now. But the whole thing, like, when this first came out, they were like, oh, they got to have the air bubbles so they can talk. Mm-hmm. And then the director of Aquaman was like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's dumb. <laughs> this whole 90% of this movie is going to be underwater. We can't constantly be stopping to make air bubbles so they can talk. Right. And so in this, when they're talking underwater, they're doing, like, dolphin clicks and shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's, again, this is a whole thing about, like, it's more real, air quotes, 
versus just letting the suspension of disbelief take over. Like, yeah, that may be more real, but it's also fucking ridiculous. And if you're trying to spin off franchises into these characters, specifically Aquaman, like, you can't, you can't have that. Right. <laughs> that's just, that's untenable. That's not, excuse me, that's not doable in a two-hour Aquaman movie. For this, yeah, it may work for a scene or two. But, but for something like that, like, and if you're not going to be looking that far in the future, then you shouldn't be working on a franchise. Right, exactly. Making those kind of points, and I say that with air quotes around it, it's bad faith criticism. And I've done that before, too. I'm not immune to it. But again, it's the idea that like these little things like, oh, well, how do they talk underwater? And, yeah. and uh, well, if it's, you know, they do this thing, like this small, unconsequential thing, then that totally, you know, destroys the sense of reality. No, it doesn't, you guys. <laughs> We're watching a movie about super beings who can see through walls and, you know, billionaires who actually want to help poor people. <laughs> billionaires who build gauntlets that get more of a storyline than Superman does. No kidding! <laughs> and like, but yeah, he said, oh, how does my gauntlet work? I was like, well, you know what? It worked a lot better in Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that scene where Alfred's like, I'm building, I've got this weapon from the fucking Kryptonians. I'm going to shoot it at this and see if it makes it work so that it reflects lasers. Oh, it looks like it worked. And then in the scene where, where Batman's fighting, it's like, and he goes, Alfred, it worked. It reflected the laser. <laughs> like, really? Oh, is that what that did? Thanks. <laughs> right. And I guess I think that the only reason those are there is so that we can get um, shots of Superman trying to melt yeah. Batman. Well, great. You don't you don't need that. You don't need to show him building it. Though. Right. No, you don't. He's fucking Batman. Exactly. How many scenes in the 1989 Batman do you see of him working on his gear or his car or anything? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Zero. Because it doesn't matter. He's fucking Batman. Just, uh, just show Superman zapping it off and then it falling apart you know like that shows the power that he has it's just a really weird uh cul-de-sac of story you know a cul-de-sac of story i hope they put that on the poster (laughs) (laughs) so yeah superman comes back then cyborg's dad needlessly kills himself which like he superheats the thing and so they can track like who cares it's alien technology surely you can track that Right? (laughs) right especially since cyborg's team spent the last however many months studying it, you know, or years. He said they found it in World War II, I think. Yes. So, like, yeah, they've had that for a while. They know how to track it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Again, another one of those little things that, oh, this is how they do it. It's like, well, no one no one cares how they do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't, don't need any of that. It's, it's just <laughs> fucking pointless. Uh, oh, yeah, so the scene where Superman gets his black suit. Oh, yes. Um, which has zero weight in this story. He's just, they, Zack Snyder likes the color black, so he puts him in a black suit. So that deleted scene is actually on the Whedon Cut DVD. Mm-hmm. Like you can see that deleted scene where he walks in the hallway and sees the different suits. The only thing they did is they, they color swapped it. So in the original version, he walks in and he sees the black suit and he turns away from it and he takes his regular blue and red suit. But in this version, he sees the blue and red suit, and he's like, oh, I'm going to wear the black suit instead. Um, which, the, the hilarious thing, like, the film editor, when that came out, he was talking about that deleted scene. And he's like, yeah, we, we had the black suit, but only for the scene where he rejects it. And he said, to me, it was almost like the ship was presenting him a choice. Here's this black suit symbolizing, you know, hate and anger and darkness. And Superman turns his back on it, rejecting it. 
and taking the blue and red suit that uh, means like inspiration and hope. Mm-hmm. And so, so like hear him discuss that years ago and then have uh, Snyder come back and be like, no, fuck that. Put him in black. <laughs> Don't you know that this is a serious movie? Yeah. Cause that was all already filmed with him in the red suit. There is no black suit. They CGI'd that over. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because Snyder always wanted the black suit, but they, they didn't put it. So, again, in the comic, the black suit has a purpose. Yes. It's after he dies, he wears this solar suit to absorb energy so he can regain his power. Because he's not, he's weak. Right. And in this, it's literally just a, oh, I just want a different color. <laughs> <laughs> it represents his inner darkness. Yeah. yeah. I'm Superman. I'm fucking, like, sad all the time. That's how Superman is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's um, it's quantity over quality, and his style over substance. <laughs> then we get to the final battle. They all go and fucking fight uh, Steppenwolf and his fellas. The final battle almost won me over. Mm-hmm. It was edited better than the Whedon version. It's just way too long. Yes, way too long. And you actually okay. see them fighting guys. There was also still plenty of issues with it. Like, the Flash spends a good chunk of it just running in circles. <laughs> what was that about? I, he's supposed to build up speed, I guess. Yeah. For when they go back in time. The whole time travel thing really annoys me. They're, like, going back in time for a few seconds. It's just, it feels weird and dumb, and Galaxy Quest did it better. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. That's valid. <laughs> and then, uh, so when Superman shows up and starts beating up, uh, what's his fuck? Steppenwolf. It's, he just fucking, like shears off one of his horns with his, with his lasers. And like it's like there's no more tension anymore. He's like, whack, 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 whack. You're, fucking, you're fucked up. Like, I'm, you're dead. Like, this is the end. <laughs> like, when there's that big of a disparity between one hero and the villain, then why is there a team here? Exactly. Well, I think that's what both versions failed to do, 2017 and this one. And that brings up a much... Again, the re- the reiteration of the point that the DCEU doesn't know what it's doing with these movies and has not established these characters as something that we should care about or that feels vital. It's like, well, well yeah, what, why, why do you need Superman? Well, you do need Superman. He's the only one you need. Apparently so. You don't need any of the others. You don't need the League. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you don't need the demigod. You don't need, like, the billionaire's resources. You don't yeah. need, like, the, the ocean king. <laughs> you know, or the kid that can time travel. It's like... It's this whole emphasis on this one guy, but yet when he, like you said, when he shows up, there's so little to distinguish him from the bad guy that that emotional impact that we should feel like, oh my God, Superman's back. It's like, oh God, who's he going to kill this time? Exactly. (laughs) Although at least the killing blow goes to somebody else with Wonder Woman just heartlessly hacking his head off. He's already defeated. (laughs) Jesus, <laughs> it's just so needlessly violent. I was reading online, like someone brought that up as a positive point. Uh, you know, like, oh, look at Wonder Woman. Like she lends the killing blow. It's like, hurrah. <laughs> being a good female character or being being an interesting female character doesn't mean making them violent. Right. You know, like, or needlessly bloodthirsty or whatever. That, that's a train of thought that just equates... A, masculine with violence, Mm -hmm. and masculinity with normality. So if a female character is going to be, quote, good, she has to be, quote, masculine. Exactly. (laughs) And you know what? If you're going to go that direction, fine. But, like, go that direction. Again, like we mentioned in the previous episode, don't stop this character for her to give, like, a, a 
cheerleader speech to little girls. And that's the, it's the like, well, we, there's Wonder Woman, we gotta have at least one scene of her being nice. <laughs> and it's just, it's that, it's the male version of what it means to be a strong female character. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sorry, you guys, is not as revolutionary as the internet seems to think it is all of a sudden. And what what <laughs> makes Wonder Woman strong should be her femininity. It shouldn't be her rejection of it. <laughs> exactly. And and again, to uh, uh, further stress the point that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, it's an obvious disparity in how Patty Jenkins sees that character and how Zack Snyder sees that character. And so, um, yeah, like the, the little girl cheerleading routine, that belonged in Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and for all, for all the stupid fucking goofiness of 84, at least I didn't feel like they were trying to force the character to be something she's not. Right. Like, she, she felt like Wonder Woman in that movie. She did. You know, as goofy and dumb and weird as that fucking movie was, and as <laughs> date-rapey as her relationship was. <laughs> the, the tone is the same. The tone is consistent throughout the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and then after they they just just gang fuck the bad guy <laughs> and hack him to pieces. <laughs> um, after that, then we're treated to the wrap up scene that feels like it takes like fifteen minutes of just again listening to Cyborg's dad drone on about power and responsibility. And Cyborg's big heroic moment is standing over his parents' grave and taking his clothes off. <laughs> right. Feeling good. Yeah. Ah! Which is like, that's supposed to be him. I've learned to accept who I am. Which I feel, again, like that was done better in the, in the Whedon version, where he mm -hmm. turns into like the more comic book accurate looking Cyborg. Mm -hmm. Which is a more interesting look and everything, but whatever. And then you get that eight seconds of Batman standing on atop the giant bat tank from Dark Knight Returns. Which was in all the fucking trailers for this. You get fanboys all, get their little fucking micro penises all hard. And they're like, hey, we're gonna see some Frank Miller Batman stuff. He. And like, hey, in the last 10 minutes of the movie for about eight seconds. Yep. <laughs> hope you liked it, guys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I hope, hope, hope that was enough to get you there. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, ay, ay, ay. And then Superman opening his shirt to reveal the black suit underneath again. Like, you're still, you're not getting it, dude. That's not what he should be wearing. Right, yeah. Well, and it, like you said, like, for for the fans, as a fan, and you know what the black suit is, like you said, you're like, that makes no sense yeah. within the context. For the average person who knows who Superman is, but doesn't read the comics, they're like, what? What? It's it's the Martian Manhunter scene. Right. It's exactly the same. It's the, This is a reference to the comic books, and I just threw it in because it was a reference. And, well, how does it affect the movie surrounding it? You know? <laughs> There's a concept. Yeah. References and, and Easter eggs and shit are great, as long as it doesn't bring the movie to a grinding halt. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite comic book Easter eggs of all time is in the first Captain America movie, mm -hmm. the first Avenger, when they're at the Stark Expo. And the camera's panning over the Stark Expo, and there's this tube with, like, a mannequin in it, and it says, Phineas Horton's Synthetic Man. Uh, like, oh, it's a reference to the Human Torch. Yeah. And if you get it, you get it. If not, it's just a piece of the fucking Expo, you know? That works. And that's how you do a reference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, dear. Uh, well, um, since we're coming to the end of the film here, that's something that I heard a critic, I wish I could remember his name, from uh, Cinema Blender, 
I heard him say, oh, I like the endings in this so much better, like, because it just, it wrapped up so many loose ends for these characters that you didn't get in the 2017 version, and, like, it's not like the Lord of the Rings ending where it ends, like, 15 times. I hate that. Um, Sir, whoever you are, I respectfully disagree. I, I disrespectfully disagree that's just <laughs> dumb that's a dumb reading if you if you see the ending of this movie and think that's a that's a nice concise ending no it's not no no <laughs> and the endings to i mean to nerd out on on uh, um the lord of the rings all of the endings to the lord of the rings make sense i mean yeah you know? they, they make sense it goes on way too long i i get the point he's trying to make but he's categorically false Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, the end of the end of Lord of the Rings takes 20 minutes to wrap up. Like, well, so does this, man. It's the same fucking thing. You get the wrap-up, and then it keeps going. But, again, like, all of the wrap-ups in Lord of the Rings, even if you think it goes on for too yeah. long, it connects to the characters. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And, yeah, your point is that the Lord of the Rings takes too long to end, but at least each of those is saying something. Yes. And it's not... In this, the movie ends, and then there's a scene of Lex and Deathstroke. And then that ends. And then there's a scene of the future. And then that ends. And then there's a scene of Bruce Wayne talking to Martian Manhunter. And, like, none of those... Yeah, I don't know. Those are, like, post-credit scenes that were just slapped at the end or whatever. Right. But done really inelegantly, which is everything about this movie. <laughs> but that nightmare sequence, the again, Flash to the Future, disconnected anything. The way it's edited is so poor that it's not like it says, you know, 20 years later or, or there's, like, not a scene of Bruce falling asleep or whatever. It's just... Deathstroke saying, like, oh, I'm going to go kill Batman now. And then, boom, the future. And then Deathstroke's there with him. And again, if you don't know these characters and you don't know the stupid lore that exists in Zack Snyder's head, then you're just like, what? (laughs) Speaking of which, shall we talk about the Joker? Uh, Yeah, it's dumb. It's it's just like this. It's a dumb inclusion that's there to wank off fanboys um, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything. And the relationship between Joker and Batman in this is completely unearned. Right. Like, we have... You've never seen them on screen together. They're both in Suicide Squad, but they don't talk. They don't connect to each other. They, uh... And Batman fucking Harley died, and she said that she wants me to kill you, and I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> Shut up. I get it. You're, you're really edgy, man. I totally earn that Hot Topic outfit you're wearing. Like, I get it. <laughs> It's still fucking dumb. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm sorry, but not sorry. The idea that, first of all, the idea that Joker needs to be in this movie at all is just ridiculous. But Jared Leto can't help but play Jared Leto in everything he's in. Like, I went back and watched uh, Dallas Buyers Club again after you and I talked about, like, you were saying, yeah. well, it's just Jared Leto in a dress. Yeah. And I watched it again, and I was like, oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, did. it totally did. And, you know, I like a few 30 Seconds to Mars song, but, it, songs, excuse me, but Jared Leto is, he's not a good Joker. Yeah. He's not a good Joker. All right, man, I've been saying that since 2016, so preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I it, again, I guess it just, I don't understand why people get so excited for this. Like, I understand wanting these movies to be good because, again, I love Wonder Woman. I love Superman. I love the Joker. Um, These characters have such a rich history and they deserve good stories. 
But just because we're so desperate to see them in good stories does not mean that what is given to us is good. <laughs> Again, go go fucking watch Young Justice. If you want like a like a perfect version of all of these characters, go watch Young Justice. It's a great show. It really adapts everything about the DC universe brilliantly. Right. Right. <clears throat> and it's not that, you know, well, hell, I don't know. I could I could go exactly. on and on. But... So then so then the last scene of the movie. <laughs> and we get Ben Affleck. That's not Batman. That's fucking Ben Affleck. He looks like a completely different person at the end of this movie. Because it was just filmed in October, this, that scene. Right, right. So he wanders out of bed, and he's speaking, clearly speaking to no one. He's like, hey, well, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and then, like, Martian Manhunter has a line, and he's like, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> and then Martian Manhunter has another line, and, well, okay. <laughs> and it's, like, there, there's like a million things that could have been written for Martian Manhunter to just jabber back to him i knew superman's dad or whatever he says like wait who who are you talking about you're talking about jor-el or you're talking about pa kent right (laughs) and like i used to hide but now i'm gonna be out there helping you guys because bad things are coming like yeah and he keeps having the visions you don't need to tell him (laughs) (laughs) and again on that note it's like okay where the fuck were you when Doomsday yeah. was ripping stuff up? Exactly. Yeah, this isn't this isn't the first rodeo that this Earth has dealt with. So right. Thanks for nothing, asshole. <laughs> exactly. And, and then it, uh, and then the movie transitions into uh, another soulful rendition of Hallelujah. Because Zack Snyder just loves that. Leave Leonard Cohen alone. That act, the the singer that sings it in this version, she's in Man of Steel. She? Yeah, she's like like she has a cameo as like a, a singer in a in the bar. Huh. Okay. So uh, apparently Zack Snyder's a big fan of hers. Apparently so. Well, you know, make that Snyder money, girl. Yeah. Get it. So yeah, we uh, we fucking got through it. Um, now we got to do some comments. Yes. I promised. So I'm I reached out to the world and asked what people's thoughts are of this movie. Um, last time I mentioned Dee talking about the Wonder Woman chant. Um, <laughs> she said, it's a lot of movie. I feel like it explains more, but there's still a lot of fat that could have been cut. Yeah, dude, there's like two hours of fat. <laughs> Wonder Woman's screaming chant song is annoying. <laughs> it is. So and this is my favorite, too. These are two people back to back, just with like a couple minutes apart from each other. Paul says, incredible. Then Wes says, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Very two opposing views Which there. is literally what the internet's been saying about this movie. There's the very vocal fanboy contingent saying, It's the best thing ever! Yeah, and, then, and then other people are like, That's fucking terrible! <laughs> some, um, some asshole named Sophia said, I had to watch it in intervals because I can only take so much unintentional comedy. <laughs> she is such a snob. She really is. <laughs> Jeff says, I thought there were some good additions, mainly around Steppenwolf, but there were some head-scratcher decisions as well. I don't regret watching it, but I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I think last time, this isn't a movie. Like, this is an event. Right. Nobody in their right mind is ever going to revisit this. Why would you? It's like, I remember the day that that came out, and I fucking powered through it. And the end. <laughs> Just like that, you know, that time I went on that four-hour trek through the Himalayas. Like, never doing that again. But... <laughs> Damn it, I survived. I came back changed. What a story. Yeah. <laughs> Craig says it was better than the theatrical release, but that's not saying much. 
I don't understand all the praise I keep seeing for it. Mostly it just felt self-indulgent. Which, amen, it absolutely felt self-indulgent. Well said, Greg. Nick, who has commented before, said, If I like it, does that make me a fanboy? And if I hate, does it make me a toxic fan? (laughs) Which I didn't realize that was like a joke at first, so I wrote out like this really long, stupid (laughs) response. (laughs) Completely flying over my head. Burr Martin, alias Selfie Dad, he's an actual celebrity, commented saying, I really liked it. I won't say love because, well, it's another doom and gloom DC movie, but it's heads above Whedon's cut, which I won't fully blame since the studio had a hand. Yeah, again, that's not, we always talk about it being Whedon's cut. It's really not. It's the fucking studio's cut that they grabbed some guy three or four months before its release and was like, fucking do this. Cut it. Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) By the end, it really felt like they uh, deserved the journey to the end as opposed to the first version where it felt so rushed. I don't have to disagree with you there. Tiny Touches with Cyborg and Flash really helped. Again, disagree. (laughs) The only thing Whedon's version had that I liked more was the Superman theme and the red-blue suit with soups at the end. Yeah, I I didn't like the black suit. Travis says, outside of a four-hour tour that dragged, there were some improvements over the Whedon version. Mostly Wonder Woman doesn't have meaningless self-doubt. Disagree. Steppenwolf doesn't have mother issues, but again, like, the, that's what the mother boxes are called. Right. <laughs> um, I don't understand in either version really what his motivation is. Uh, I just want to go home. Like, that's dumb. I, okay, no, whatever. We all want to go <laughs> yeah. home from work, dude. <laughs> and in this part, he says, no story diverting Russian family that should have died the second they were discovered, among other changes. It was a polished turd, but could uh, it was as polished as a turd could have been. <laughs> So he was talking about the Russians, the Russian family that was in the original version. I remember that, yeah. And, he was like, yeah. and then Burr says, ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I was glad the family weren't there. And I responded, was like, honestly, I didn't mind the family. They weren't elegantly integrated into the narrative, but honestly, that's something I could say for about half of everything in both cuts. Indeed. And um, here's my big thing, is uh, it was nice to actually see the League save someone. <laughs> and I said, half of this team are mass murderers. <laughs> and that's, that's not a joke or no. an overstating. Like, half of this team are mass murderers. So, any opportunity to have them save a life or two is sorely needed. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, throw the family in. Holly says, I'm still trying to process all of my emotions. We'll come back later. Super <laughs> helpful. <laughs> thanks, Holly. Which, agreed. Super helpful. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Uh, JR put a bunch. Um, bloated as a Dunkin'. Um, Affleck is totally bloated on Dunkin' Donuts and doesn't look like he looks in the rest of the movie. That was from the Whedons. Uh, uh, Martian Manhunter is only, or is totally shoehorned in. There's no need for him to be there. Agreed. Pacing in the second half was a nightmare. I would even go back to the first half. No. Everything that comes up. After the hero lineup, the one that should have ended the movie, <laughs> you know, when you see everyone, like, yeah, that's complete garbage. It says, I find Leto's Joker insulting, and even though it's a dream sequence, this Batman did not earn what he said to the Joker. We just haven't had enough time on screen, and we haven't had a, enough time in on screen history with them for that F bomb to be meaningful. Indeed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. The plot's just kind of soulless, shallow mess. The characters are serviced a little more. Cyborg actually has something to do. Uh, again, go back to what we said last episode. Yeah, he has more to do, but that doesn't mean it's anything good. Exactly. <laughs> big waste and time of money, or big waste of time and money overall. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and that's the last word. <laughs> well, if I may, I've got a couple comments here yeah, that yeah. I told people I would read. Um, 
My friend Jess said, hated it. And yes, that Wonder Woman scene with the little girl was performative wokeness at its finest. <laughs> I enjoyed the final 20-minute post-apocalyptic scene, but other than that, just ridiculously overwrought, self-indulgent, and dull. Uh, Rusty said, I believe the movie could have been shorter and was thrown by what seemed to be four different endings, but I really did enjoy his take on the characters for the most part, besides Batman going off of faith instead of knowledge, which seems out of character for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's again, uh, tenuous at best. <laughs> and Jennifer said, last but not least, I liked the movie. I accepted that it was so long because it was allowed to be. If he had been the one to finish the theatrical version, it would have been four hours. I enjoyed the extra look at the characters as well and enjoyed the final fight much better than the one from the theater. Well, a lot of people keep saying, like, well, you know, he should be allowed to finish it and blah, blah, blah. And this is his vision. Like, but again, we've had two movies of his vision already. I didn't like either of those. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so who gives a shit about his vision when Law of Diminishing Returns shows that largely audiences don't care about his vision either? Well, my my friend Daniel said this, and I love you, Daniel, but I disagree. Um, he doesn't like you know, uh, Man of Steel or uh, Batman versus Superman or Justice League for that matter, but his take was that um, anytime a creative gets to see their vision through. It's a win for everybody. And all I have to say is, again, Daniel, you are so much more a generous and kind person than I am because like, we could do a whole nother podcast on movies throughout Hollywood history where the creators, the screenwriters, the director have suffered some horrible tragedy that prevented them from overseeing uh, what they wanted to bring to the screen. And the only thing I think that that has caused this to resonate so much is, again, like the Internet and social media and how much fans can be involved in that process now as opposed to, you know, 20, 50 years ago. Well, and when you say a creative's vision, like you're talking about the director. Yes. Because when you say a creative, well, which creative? Yeah. This is a fucking franchise that's owned by a giant corporation that's an adaptation of characters that have been around for 80 years so who the fuck cares about one person's view on all that right and especially like i've said before when filmmaking is such a collaborative process mm -hmm. because the director's name comes last in the directed by we always put so much importance on their vision but that vision doesn't mean shit if they don't have the people to help them see it through and again, when you've got one person who's never told no, it's not going to be a good vision. Exactly. And, like, and we've already seen, we've, we've seen this fucking creative vision two times before. Like, I know how it's going to end. <laughs> right. It's not going to be something that's true to these characters. Right, exactly. And, and WB clearly saw that, which is why there was all the behind-the-scenes drama and changing and all that shit. And, Go ahead, pardon me. No, I was just going to say, it was them trying desperately to try to to try to rein in this vision and to try to get something salvageable out of it. Right, exactly. Now they're to the point where they don't fucking care. Like, they can't, <laughs> can't salvage it. Like, like, whatever. Yeah, the horse is dead. <laughs> Beat the shit out of it. I don't care. <laughs> right? Take its bones home and mount them on your wall. <laughs> it, um, and this, again, this keeps getting said, but, you know, guys, it keeps getting said for a reason, is that this is not about, oh, um, you know, we love the Marvel. The Marvel characters are inherently better than the DC characters. It's like, 
subjectively, the Marvel Universe has done a better job of telling their stories because they have that person who holds the overall idea together. Whereas, I'm sorry, like, you can say that this is, uh, this is Snyder's creative vision. At the end of the day, it still feels like it's pl- trying to play desperate catch-up with yeah. the Marvel Universe. Oh, exactly. and, that, and that's, that's the reason any studio wants to build a fucking interconnected universe. It's because Marvel did it good. We want that sweet-ass residual money. <laughs> like, well, you can't, you, can't do, you can't rush that and you can't do that without putting in the time and effort that they did. And that's, I mean, the end. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So, yeah, big vertistat for me. <laughs> yeah, do not, uh, do not proceed to go. Do not collect $200. You know, I could watch, I could watch Jonah Hex almost four times in the amount of time it took to watch Justice League. <laughs> God, and, and why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I'm just saying, because that was the only other vertigo stop we've done. That's true. And, um, yeah, I would gladly watch Jonah Hex again before sitting through this. <laughs> at least you could see Jonah. I mean, at least twice. I'd watch Jonah Hex at least twice in a row. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we, we could make more jokes about John Malkovich playing with his glowing orange balls. Yes. <laughs> glorious, gorgeous, shimmering old orange balls. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> Good times, good times. So, okay. Are you for you too? What's the, what's your consensus? <laughs> I had so much fun with this movie. I really don't understand why. Quick pace, breezy, <laughs> fun atmosphere. <laughs> you feel such a connection to yeah. these characters. Like, I didn't even notice that Superman had less dialogue than he did in the last movie. <laughs> no, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah, obvious verta stop for me. Like again, like I said in the prior episode, I am not a professional critic, and I actually have a lot of respect for professional critics because I, like I said, I watched this movie in intervals. I had to. Um, professional critics they don't get that option. Like when they sit down to a bad movie, they're in it for the long haul. Um, so to those brave men and women, I salute you. <laughs> but no, this is not something I will be returning to with uh, eagerness or uh, fondness. Not even now that there's less color in it. <laughs> yeah, gotta check out the black and white version. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I promise we'll get back to good stuff next time. I can only bitch about something so much. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this yeah. rant. <laughs> uh, so like and subscribe. Please follow us on social media, Twitter at Vertigo Voices or Instagram Vertigo Voices. Email uh, vertigovoices at gmail.com. I actually had a comment that I was going to read. I'll do it at the front next time. Okay. It was somebody, somebody commented on the show um, and they uh, reiterated my killer joke from the Wolf Among Us episode. <laughs> Which one? There are so many. Uh, the best one. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll do it next time. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll read the comment next time. Okay, so that was it. We, we hold on. Wait, I'm just gonna just gonna fade off to sleep here for a second. Whoa! What's this crazy orange tinted orange tinted world I'm in? What, oh my god! See, the the Flash has to go back in time and tell me not to do this stupid fucking podcast. <laughs> so much now hangs in the balance. <laughs> oh no, I'm stuck in the night world nightmare world forever. Will Colby ever make it back? Dun dun dun. Like and subscribe or we'll fucking kill you. <laughs>